Welcome to Dr. Eric's Relentless Vitality Podcast. Our focus is on optimizing physical and mental vitality, maximizing performance, and extending lifespan. Dr. Eric is a licensed physician with a wealth of expertise in age management and preventive medicine whose goal is enabling his patients to stay young, feel their best, and enjoy a higher quality of life. Now, here's Dr. Eric. Hey guys, it's Dr. Eric here. Got another great show here. My guest here is Ryan from TaylorMade Pharmacy. And um, Ryan is going to give a quick intro about himself. They do a lot of peptide therapy, which I use and a lot of my colleagues use as well. So Ryan, welcome. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. I uh, appreciate the introduction. Uh, Again, as you said, I'm uh, from TaylorMade Compounding. We specialize in short chain amino acid molecules, uh, so peptides. Uh, We specialize in things under 50 amino acids for a variety of things. We made our name in that space. You know, most people get inter- introduced uh, via the growth hormone analogs, but we do a lot more than that. Right now, there are over 7,000 peptides in clinical, I guess, uh, in the process of clinical development, and uh, we hope to sort of lead that in the integrative space. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, that's amazing how many peptides there are. I'm, I'm friends with Jay Campbell. I think you did a good uh, a good podcast interview with him. I, I'm out here in Ohio, and I obviously I do a lot of age management, preventive health care, a lot of hormone uh, replacement therapy. So peptides are obviously the newest thing between that and stem cells are the two of the newest things that I've been excited about learning in the last couple of years. And that's I think that's how I got hooked up with you guys. I've been doing uh, PRP therapy for a while, but uh, getting the peptides is, is very exciting as well. So tell me about yourself, Ryan. Like Ryan uh, at TaylorMade Pharmacy there, like how did you get, I think I, I heard a little bit of your story, but tell me how you got involved with TaylorMade. Yeah. So uh, again, it's a lot of luck. So I uh, went to, um, from the central Kentucky area, I went to medical school at the University of Kentucky. And uh, after step one, you know, I decided it wasn't for me. So I started looking for different career opportunities and actually uh, applied for a job at a stem cell and, you know, sort of PR processing uh, facility for, for equine animals, so equine and, and small companion animals. And I met Jeremy, and Jeremy uh, had sort of knew, knew uh, one of our other co-owners, Nima Lobby, through some connections in the Middle East, through some, you know, uh, basically some student cell procedures for animals, which were being paired with peptides. So, uh, you know, from the get-go, we knew that these things worked really, really well together, and but it had not been done in the United States. In Australia, the market for peptides has been pretty well established. Uh, the government's taken some stances on it, but in the United States, there was essentially nothing being done except for the black market. So through that, they sort of created tailor-made compounding. So you know, six months after medical school, we started this up and have been rolling sort of ever since. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So speaking of that, let's get into that. I guess what uh, are you guys having any kind of pushback from from big pharma for government or anything in terms of use? We're still pretty small fish for now. You know, we're not big enough to, to really worry them. And But with that being said, I think that peptides generally are in a, an interesting space because the majority of what they've been used for has been, you know, doping, right? Uh, performance enhancement. Those have been the ones that have most been rapidly uptaked. I think right now we're seeing uh, a huge development for metabolic diseases and cancer and a lot of really cool health effects. So I think that the stigma of peptides is going away from a performance enhancing one to more of an integrative health and uh, the possibility to help in just about every area of medicine. So so that, that stigma is definitely changing and we we're not experiencing any significant blowback yet. Again, we license in, in over 45 different states, regulated by each of the compounding boards. So we're heavily regulated, and we think that's a good thing, especially because most of these things traditionally have been done in a very unregulated fashion. Right, right. Excellent. What are your current challenges you're facing right now? Yeah, so a lot. One is, uh, with like any small company, scaling up. But uh, generally, the, the peptides are yeah. pretty well tolerated. In terms of a uh, most of the challenges that we're experiencing seem to be logistical than you know, product-wise, which is always a great thing to have. You know, we don't have to worry about a lot of the products causing side effects. We don't have a huge side effect profile for a majority of these things. We don't have to worry about dosing. So the majority of what we do is just logistically supplying patients and doctors and doing education with doctors. And in terms of the education process, I think that's been helped along now by uh, the AMMG, uh, the Age Management Medical Group, uh, the 
A4M, which is also extremely helpful. And then now there's some other new organizations like the International Peptide Society, which, again, are sort of spreading the message. And, and you need multiple people sort of speaking about these things because the scope is just so large. I mean, new peptides are created every day. Uh, new areas to use them are being discovered every day. So it's sort of a group effort, and it's a new wave of medicine that we think is definitely coming. Excellent. No, it's, and it's very exciting for sure. So, yeah, let's talk about, if you, do you mind talking about some of the peptides you've got? No, absolutely. Obviously, a lot of uh, patients are in. A, again, uh, what we traditionally do on some of these onboarding calls, we, we initially talk to doctors. Again, uh, you know, in medical school, they don't teach a lot of these things. So we always sort of like to narrow the scope. <laughs> and so if you have any direction during uh, the scope, what peptides are, uh, you think we should start with, then we can go from there and uh, expand. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, obviously, I'd love to, to talk about the uh, the nootropics and the, the healing peptides, yeah. but let's start off with the ones that everybody knows about. That's the uh, the growth hormone peptides, for example. I'd love to talk to get your take on CJC-1295, how it's used. Um, I know a lot of times it's used with Ipamoral in, in combination. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the growth hormone security dogs are what really get everyone into it because, again, growth hormone optimization has been a relatively tricky subject, right? Everyone knows that it has some some pretty good benefits in terms of cardiovascular benefits, some uh, metabolic and, and body composition benefits, and it's been a high controversy. So I think we solve a lot of that controversy with some of these growth hormone secretagogues. Traditionally, the growth hormone secretagogue that's been used the most is called Samoralin. It's a, a natural variant of your hypothalamic hormone growth releasing factor. So it's a 29 amino acid sequence that, that is, again, has been proliferated pretty well in the integrative space uh, because of its effect. But what's happened is it's extremely, extremely old. So, you know, again, like I said, the sequence of the amino acid, the 29 amino acid sequence has been changed to give it a better binding. So, uh, again, we're, it's just mimicking that natural cycle of hypothalamic secretion to encourage your pituitary to release that growth hormone. And it's just a better version of the samoralin and part of a larger family of growth hormone releasing hormones. And uh, that's probably our most prevalent. But we always sort of recommend to pair CJC1295 with the epimoralin because they're very, very synergistic. There is a little bit of inhibition of the Matastatin, which again is inhibiting the growth hormone release. So you sort of, I guess, negate the negator um, and allow that growth hormone releasing hormone to do its thing when you pair it with epimoralin. Right, right. And I understand with CJC, there's the, the two different versions, but you typically recommend what's called the DAC or the non-DAC version. Is that right? I don't know how much of a difference that makes, but... Absolutely. Additionally, is actually a little bit of a misnomer. Created by a company called Conjicam, uh, which just stands for the CJC, and the 1295 was actually originally started with DAC. So the real name for the product we recommend is called Tester Substituted Modified Growth Releasing Factor 129, or often Modified Growth Releasing Factor 129. Uh, however, uh, due to some, again, here you a lot of the nomenclature means you run into history as much as you do uh, science and intentional naming. And uh, the adoption of the CJC 1295 was sort of fully adopted in Australia to mean the Mod GRF. So considering that's our background and the majority of the people we work with so-called the CJC, that's traditionally the name we use. But however, we, gotcha. nomenclature aside, uh, nomenclature aside, the, the, the DAC is a once-a-week injection, which is still maintains a pulsatile secretion pattern. A lot of people will say, hey, don't use it because it doesn't uh, have a pulsatile release that mimics your natural growth hormone secretion. But that's clearly the case. It still has a pulsatile secretion, but what it does is it sort of wears out your pituitary and causes some downregulation over time. So it becomes a little less effective over time. And, and necessarily, you don't want your pituitary secreting 24-7 or being stimulated 24-7. Right. Yeah, I believe you typically you always recommend, you know, take a break on the weekends, right? Inject five out of seven days, take a couple days off, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Again, uh, the, the, 
there's a lot of really good data on uh, the growth hormone secreted GABA receptor, and that's the, the receptor that ipamorelin is hitting, and your GHRP2, UHRP6 would be hitting, your synthetic analogs like the MK677 would be hitting, and that receptor can downregulate very, very quickly. So uh, that's a receptor we really, really want to be careful with. Um, that's the reason we suggest, you know, sort of the five days on, two days off, gives you your pituitary a little bit of time to recover, and, and it also protects you against some of that downregulation. Right. Now, how does that compare? I don't think you, I know, I think it was a different company. I heard, uh, I watched a, uh, an educational presentation on some of these as well, but they talked about another one called Ibutamorin. I don't know if you guys offer Ibutamorin, but is that similar to Ipamorelin, or what's if if not, what's the difference? Yeah, so very, very similar. It's actually that another a synonym for the Ibutamorelin. It's called the MK677, which is the one I just talked about. It's the uh, it's the synthetic okay. analog that's orally bioavailable. So hitting that Ipamorelin receptor, it's sort of mimicking the natural ligand, which is ghrelin. And again, the results in terms of an IGF-1 and growth hormone secretagog receptor are, are pretty positive. I mean, you get a, around a 50% increase in IGF-1, and you don't have to worry about any needles or injections, which you do with most of the other products. The only issue with that is a lot of people like the growth hormone secretagogs for a little bit of fat loss, right? They like to see some body comp change. Right. Uh, and the MK677 actually doesn't help with that. It, traditionally, there, there's a couple really good six-month clinical trials where they showed that there was an increase in lean muscle mass, but fat mass stayed relatively the same. We don't often suggest that. And, you know, a lot of the behind that as well is it's not as natural. It's not a, a peptide that's rapidly downregulated. So we're not huge fans of that one, even though, um, you know, it, it, its ease uh, for patients is, is definitely positive. Gotcha. Yeah, I think when you mentioned body composition, too, obviously you can get that with CJC, but I think obviously I know Tessa Moreland, we, we definitely see that with for sure. Is that kind of what you've seen in your experience as well? Yeah, definitely. Uh, the, I mean, the Tessa Moreland is, a, again, an FDA-approved product under the name of Grifta, and mm. super, super powerful. Its average IGF-1 increase is 181 points, reduces carotid into immediate thickness, reduces triglycerides, reduces C-reactive protein, uh, improves cognition, you name it. It's very, very powerful, but the very, very price prohibitive. But so again, most of the people we deal with are traditionally into the CJC epimorlin. And beyond that, the CJC epimorlin has one benefit that the testimorlin doesn't, which is we traditionally see an increased sleep benefit with uh, the CJC that we just don't necessarily get despite all the strength of the testimorlin. Gotcha. Now, have you, I have not really looked myself, but have you seen many studies on a lot of these for people, for example, um, trying to really just in a, get, get a jump start on, for example, body composition? They, they meet their weight and they cycle off it for a period of time. Do they, they typically regain that weight or they kind of just staying on it forever or, or what I'm sure there's not been a long, lot of long-term studies obviously but what have you seen in that regard yeah so there uh, there's not a whole lot of data on the rebound weight again most of the studies traditionally end and then don't do a ton of follow-up uh, which makes it difficult yeah. um, and so there's it's a lot of speculation most of our doctors find that you know everything is always improved with strict adherence to diet and exercise right so the people who are most adherent to those other forms of their lifestyle traditionally will not rebound as fast and keep it off there's also right. really good data to suggest that using any type of secretagogue increases the pituitary uh, transcription of messenger RNA to code for growth hormones. So you don't deplete your pituitary reserves uh, nearly as much as if you didn't start a therapy. Gotcha, gotcha. Mm-hmm. I love to talk to. Uh, I love talking about healing, and I know the thymus and beta. It was it alpha and beta? There's they're they're used a lot for that as well. Can you can you touch on those two a little bit? Yeah, definitely. Uh, the the thymus and beta four is one that's been around for quite a while, and again, it's one of those products that's been often associated with doping. It's great for for a lot of different things. If you le- read read the literature it's almost hard to pick what it's used for, right? You know, a lot of studies have been done on its angiogenesis type effects, right? So it it helps with blood flow. Um, it, it's an actin sequestering protein. Um, so, you know, it, it's the first peptide regulated whenever you get a skin injury or a cut. So there's a lot of really, really diverse data out there. Some that are, it's also not positive. Again, there you see sometimes that it's uh, upregulated in, in some cancers to help with, you know, get blood flow and help 
with metastases. So there, there's definitely this one definitely needs to be managed by by a physician. But its healing aspects are, are almost second to none. I would even place it slightly above the BPC for certain types of injuries, in particular softies, because the duration and the, the time to effect is relatively short. So you see really good results within a, a very short uh, time frame. You said especially, and you broke up there soft tissue injuries. You said or more neurologic, immunologic. Yeah. So I, I should. Uh, it's good. That's definitely a good point. Is it's been studied in both you know post stroke, post MI. It definitely has, I guess, receptors that help transport it across the blood brain barrier. So we know it's good for you know post traumatic brain injury even. But but most of the time we use it for soft tissue injuries. So people recovering from things like hamstring tears. You know even if you don't want any delayed onset muscle soreness uh, after you know uh, lifting or or doing some type of physical activity. Right. Right. Interesting. Okay. And then BPC. You know the other one. Uh, not to change topics too quickly, but similar to the B, you know BPC one fifty seven also for healing, but also a lot of uh, gut indications and healing and, and the healing factor, right? Yeah, absolutely. Again, the, the, the one thing we say about the BBC is that there, first and foremost, there are no human trials, right? So that that's important to know because again, it's one of those peptides that almost looks too good to be true. The human liter, uh, the the literature in animals, it seems to fix just about everything. And I always like to go into it because it seems to have you know you repair muscle and uh, repair muscle after corticosteroid damage, help regrow nerves that have been transected. There's a good study on a sciatic nerve transection. You know, it helps with inflammatory bowel disease. It helps with tendon and ligament healing. Uh, it's even been shown to reduce, you know, herpes simplex virus outbreaks. Uh, so it, it, it almost <laughs> wow. sounds way too good to be true because in addition to that, we see almost no side effects, right? And it also increases growth hormone receptors on, on, on fibroblasts and tendons and ligaments. So we see, you know, an additive response whenever you're recovering from an injury with growth hormone supplementation or growth hormone secretagogue. So again, the data is almost unbelievable. It seems like you have one peptide that does everything you need to do, but we haven't made that jump to the human trials yet. So there's, I think you'll start to see a little bit more excitement whenever the data starts to come in. This is a Croatian peptide and uh, it's going to go into, I think they've already filed for a trade name called Bepepsin, even though they're, they're, they're a little far away from uh, you know FDA approval. Gotcha. That was the that was kind of my next question. I think you're right. I think once we get into more human trials, get some more data. You know, it, it's funny. We're so we're, you know, the regulation is good to a point, but so many people just want all those studies, but there's certainly something instead for thousands of anecdotal reports and observational you know case studies as well. And you probably see that more overseas than here in the States, but I think they both have their merit, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, that's what compounding pharmacies are sort of designed for is to allow dosage forms that are not necessarily always FDA approved. You know, you if you have a kid who needs a, a certain chemo drug in a certain concentration or you have, uh, you know, even an animal who wants to do something that's, that's not commercially available, you need compounding pharmacies to fill those gaps. And so that's that's essentially what we're doing uh, with this is we're providing we know to be uh, anecdotally very beneficial to certain patients, even though it's not, again, technically FDA approved. Gotcha. OK. Now, some of the other ones in terms of like folostatin and uh, MGF, are, the, are those more geared towards uh, older individuals who are facing issues with sarcopenia? Uh, I know there's some data with uh, PCOS maybe with folostatin, but it seems like obviously the folostatin and the MGF more for uh, muscle building, muscle pain or sarcopenia, uh, some other issues too. Do you want to touch on those? Yes. A bit? Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I lost you a little bit um, there on the, the call, but I, I think you're asking about the folostatin and the MGF. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, again, the folostatin is another one with no human trials. Uh, and so... <laughs> It's it's definitely one of those that is a little bit uh, a little bit more difficult because it's a protein. You know, its traditional variant is 344 amino acids or 315 is generally what you see in the bloodstream. And so, in often in a lot of the mammal trials, it's been done via a viral vector. But there's no denying, and you can see uh, in in animals who have genetically 
predisposed to have lower myostatin, they just have a lot more muscle. And so they're able to do that because they're not breaking down their muscles much with the myostatin. And that same idea is with the volostatin is you're preventing that degradation, which sort of shifts your homeostatic balance to being a lot more muscular, having a lot more lean tissue. Uh, and I can, again, I not want to always advocate for, but uh, I can tell you that anecdotally, we see really good results. I think there are definitely some things to be concerned about with that one. In particular, it uh, again, the, the protein itself has an extracellular matrix binding domain, which, uh, you know, sort of intuitively makes people think that it should be binding locally. So so I think that a lot of the times, uh, you know, some type of intra intramuscular injection would be better than a sub-Q administration. But generally, I think you have to, uh, that one, again, needs a lot, a lot more re- literature before we really know. Um, on the other hand, PEG-MGF, where the MGF is uh, an extremely, extremely good good product with, with a lot of literature, the PEG-MGF is one without much literature, but it's really the way to make the, the MGF, the mechanical growth factor, also called the IGF-1EC variant, essentially to make it to make it last in the body. So those two things, definitely, we see some really good results anecdotally with muscle gain. The MGF is more proliferative to satellite stem cells. So in, instead of, uh, you know, causing, you know, hypertrophy of muscle cells like you would with an anabolic type product like testosterone or, or, or something like that, you're causing, again, more muscle fibers to be created via these, these satellite stem cell proliferation. That's fascinating. So definitely sounds like MGF probably closer to prime time than statin. I guess we need a lot more data. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely think. And again, that statin has been shown to, to definitely help in a lot of cases, um, you know, and, and again, overseas, they're doing a lot more, uh, I guess, uh, progressive and integrative trials than this happening in the United States. But at the right. same time, you can see you definitely see treatment strategies for each of them, right? Uh, you know, especially in those sarcopenia patients who are, who are you know, in the elderly, it can be, it could be pretty useful for both of them. And uh, in addition to that, it could help with people who are, you know, having severe calorie restriction. Think about maybe in the future using the statin to dose in, you know, anorexic patients who, who you want to maintain a healthy level of muscle on and things of that nature. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. No, that's fascinating stuff. It'll be it'll be really neat to see how that uh, comes out. I mean, I've you know, read about myostatin inhibitors. Of course, there's a lot of, you know, supplements that promote that, but who knows if they even work, whereas this is the actual true inhibitor. So same with the MGF. I can see a lot of applications. Overseas, are they using it? Is that seem to be their target uh, population than older sarcopenic patients? Yeah, so overseas, uh, you know, it depends on where you're at. A little bit of everything goes. I mean, I've, I've even heard rumors of someone doing gene therapy on a human uh, inducing this statin gene as well as another peptide gene. Uh, so, you know, uh, again, very little is organized scientifically, so it's, it's always hard to vet. But uh, again, the, the, a lot of people are, are attracted to it due to its, uh, again, performance-enhancing benefits. Gotcha. Okay. So talk about the uh, bromel- is, how do you, I'm not sure how do you say this bromel- bromelanotide <laughs> bromelanotide the yeah. melanotan uh, analogs I guess I know there's two right so yeah how did those come about seems like they yeah, the, the background for that is a little bit varied. Uh, again, the, the, the bremelantide, which is actually good to talk about because earlier this week, actually on Monday, AMAG Pharmaceuticals and Palatin Technologies, which is what the PT and PT-141 stands for, they actually uh, hit a milestone and were approved for a new drug application, which has to be decided on essentially by March of 2019. So uh, in terms of, uh, oh, wow. you, again, we're talking about one of the, again, this, the process of, of peptide approval. They're, they're pretty far down the track. And so they should probably hear right. early next year. And I think this product is going to be a massive, massive product. I mean, again, its uh, success rate in in uh, men who do not respond to uh, PD five inhibitors is eighty five percent, or sorry, eighty percent. Um, and so you get really that's amazing results. Yeah, absolutely. And it, but it's going to be approved for women. So any use in men will definitely be off label. But it's approval in women is is still something to, to cheer because there's really nothing on the market other than you know adi or flibanserin, which mm. wasn't the best drug in terms of inducing or, or right. female sexual dysfunction or, or hyperarousal disorder. 
So speaking of that, not to get off topic, but uh, I know Tessamorin is FDA approved, and obviously any of these can be used for any indication. That's that's the you know as long as it's used and it's, you know there are reasons for use. But are which ones are fast track? I guess which ones are technically FDA approved or not? I guess out of all the peptides, yeah, I'm just curious. Yeah, definitely. So uh, again, there's quite a big list of peptides. I would say in the integrative space, the majority of the ones that we use that are that are FDA approved are going to be essentially the the Tessamorin, the thymosinopa one, which we do a lot of for a lot of different immune conditions. It's an immune modulator, uh, which in the United States has been mm-hmm. given orphan drug approval for malignant melanoma, for hepatitis C and hepatitis B. So that's also an amazingly strong drug. goes under the trade names of Daxin. And again, super, super uh, amazing drug, which I think should honestly be used a lot more often. And so that one, uh, then uh, while Melanotan 2 is not FDA approved, Melanotan 1 is approved. Uh, and again, it's called Melanotide. It's traditionally how you know it. It's approved, uh, again, for, for actually a hematological disorder and not necessarily for, you know, aesthetic tanning or vertiligo or melasma or anything like that. Um, so right. so it is uh, that's approved. I think there are probably a couple that are slipping my mind. Uh, TRH was once approved, but now it's been a little bit discontinued, not because of its efficacy, because but because of its, uh, I guess, limited scope. And I'm sure that there are definitely more that I'm missing. But uh, yeah. and the other one we do a lot as well is the lyric glutide or what people would know as Victoza. And uh, and an interesting development that one as well is that the semaglutide, which is actually um, and going to be FDA approved for an oral consumption, which will definitely change the game in terms of metabolic disorders and the treatment of diabetes. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So the the, the tanning aspect was that just more of like a, an incidental finding that they found. Obviously, this is mainly for like yeah, and some uh, yeah, so, case for weight loss. So <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I again, it, the melanotan is an interesting interesting product because the three things that it does are, are relatively popular: the fat loss, the libido stimulation, and then the tanning. Uh, again, I, I've heard a lot of on the origin stories of that. You know, traditionally you hear that uh, it grows to popularity in Australia because of uh, its protective effects against skin cancer. Again, at least, not, I shouldn't say documented protective effects, but hypothesized protective effects um, saying that essentially as a, right. if you have a skin tan, you're less prone to DNA damage and then less prone to uh, mutations which would cause any type of skin cancer. So that was sort of the start. And then from that, they said, hey, how can we hit these melacortinin receptors, particularly the melacortinin receptor 4, to stimulate directly that libido and arousal. And that's whenever the bremelantide was sort of developed in, in uh, Arizona State University, I think. Or, yeah, I think that, that's correct. Gotcha. Okay. The one that I'm, uh, I'd love, I will talk about the nootropic shortly, but I'd love to, to hear uh, about the epithalon too. That sounds very interesting too. Obviously, there's uh, in terms of uh, what it do, does to telomeres, melatonin, antioxidants, uh, reactive oxygen species, and things of that nature. Do you want to you touch on that one a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. The epithalon is uh, epithalon, the epithalamine. The, uh, it's got a lot of different names because uh, it was originally derived from a Russian peptide. I mean, so it's, it's got a lot of different yeah. names, but uh, most of the work on this peptide has been done by uh, uh, Dr. Kavinson, um, and he does. he's from Russia. He does a lot of work uh, in the, again, the anti-aging and integrative space, specifically focusing on gerontology and how to uh, correct, you know, the pathologies that come along with aging. And the the seems to do that. I mean, it's got a, uh, a follow-up study, which is, uh, I mean, pretty impressive at reducing cardiovascular events. The idea is it's a pineal gland peptide. So, uh, or, so it's working again uh, to regulate and help regulate your circadian rhythm, particularly the melatonin and cortisol. And essentially through some, uh, there's also some good research that ties, you know, regulation of melatonin and cortisol to things like thymus and alpha. So you sort of 
a peptide like that sort of opens up the downstream world uh, with a lot of the peptides we use as exogenous dosing, like the thymus and alpha. But the, another cool benefit of it is that it has been shown to increase telomeres. In an in vitro study using lung fibroblasts, it increased telomere length uh, by 33%, which is, uh, you know, a massive increase. Um, and uh, one that uh, for people who use TA Sciences, you know, TA65 uh, product is, is definitely, or the, any type of astralagus, recycled astralagus, is uh, one that I know people would be definitely be interested in. Definitely, definitely. Is, is this one being used uh, very frequently outside of the uh, the research settings and ter- clinically in, in, in this regard or in, in more other indications? Um, y- yeah, so uh, really it's just being at the moment used for preventative wellness. Again, like I said, the, the research is all done by Dr. Cabinson, which, you know, whenever you have just a single author without a lot of repeating studies, a lot of people tend to be pretty skeptical. I know uh, uh, Dr. Bill Andrews, who is, uh, you know, a prominent telomere uh, expert, has been a little bit skeptical of its telomere effects. So, you know, I, again, I think that while there's uh, definitely some some reason to be excited about the products, you definitely want some corroborating research uh, to be joined in on that to make sure that uh, we know exactly what it's doing. I can tell you that, uh, again, we've seen little to no side effects of it, which is also extremely positive. Yeah, that's excellent. Yeah, I think a lot of the jury's still out on the telomeres. I, I, I myself haven't really decided because I know a lot of people talk about the benefits, but then there's concerns about does it lengthen telomeres in abnormal cells too, or you know the pros and the cons. I, I think it's still kind of a lot of lot more uh, homework needs to be done. I think <laughs> for sure. Uh, I, I got you definitely. Yeah, I, just to speaking to that again, uh, telomere lengthening obviously in uh, cancer cells or, or activating telomerase in cells you do not want replicating is obviously a big deal. Right, right. Yeah, uh, some of the other ones. Uh, let's talk. About about the nootropics. I know you guys have uh, some nootropic products as well. That's always exciting. Learn how to, uh, you know, think better, think be- uh, more clearly, improve cognitive function. You've got a few there. I know this yeah. Lysin, the uh, Inaracetam, a couple others, right? Yeah, definitely. And this is again one that uh, is a is sort of a, a burgeoning field, right? So uh, we the, the the biggest peptide that we do is uh, actually cerebrolysin. It's actually a combination of peptides, oh. uh, and it works in a variety of fashions. It's, it's sort of a collection of nerve growth factors. And so again, that we have really really good success with that one. However, it's uh, been studied for just about everything as well. And this is one that has, uh, you know, a lot of scientific research, double blind placebo control trials. However, it's again, derived from essentially biological matter for the most part. So it can, uh, the risk of prions and and things like that definitely give some people pause, but you know, it's an important one to source correctly, but the results have been incredible. I just recently did, um, did some talks with some doctors who, who had a Parkinson's patient who said that his brain felt like a teenager again. And again, wow. People are using it for anti-Alzheimer's, for post-TPI. There's really good results. Um, you know, even uh, post-stroke, it's been shown to be helpful. So uh, this is one with a broad category of indications, but even just general brain functioning, it can be helpful. Um, so, yeah, so we do a lot of that, right. to be honest. Hmm, interesting. Interesting. Now, is that one that I know you've got some personal experience yourself, right? A family history or something, or you you have some nootropic yeah. interest uh, specifically yourself, right? Definitely. I spoke on Jay's uh, podcast a little bit of that about that, but uh, in particular, I have a I'm a heterozygote for an APOE4, APOE3 variant, uh, which obviously predisposes me to Alzheimer's. It's right. better than the homozygote APOE4 variant, but uh, there's been a lot of <laughs> yes. literature, a lot of literature in in mice models with the APOE4 variant in, in Alzheimer's with cerebral license. So, you know, there's some really, really great studies about spatial navigation where uh, mice who had not been previously able to navigate at all had related to cerebral license. So, again, my, my family and I are doing this one preventatively. 
they were really, really big advocates of it. And, you know, with the grandmother who's gone through Alzheimer's, it's, uh, you know, one of the, the things that you want to avoid the least or avoid the most because the most, quality yeah. of life, yeah. yeah, quality of life is just really unfortunate and terrible. So, yeah, definitely one close to my heart. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Excellent. I'd uh, love to, the, I guess the other one I wanted to touch on was the DSIP uh, that has an interest because I think so many of us have issues with sleep. And I know it's been brought up for not only for uh, LH boosting and secondarily a testosterone boosting effect, but also for sleep promotion too. So tell me about this one. Bring it up a little bit more on me again, but I just want to, the, the DSIP is, is, is a great peptide. I would say uh, its sleep effects are, are what definitely drew us to it initially. Um, and some of the some of the research there has been, you know, positive and negative. Some people not seeing much of an effect, but it's sort of spawned. It's very, very old peptide. It spawned a lot of different variations. Some people will combine it with glycine. Some people will do a lot of different synthetic dosing strategies uh, and to definitely yield some sleep benefits. So we're actually pretty big fans of the, the actual original molecule compared to, uh, I think, what a lot of the scientific literature is saying, both for its testosterone increase, well, not necessarily direct testosterone increase, but it's LH increase, which indirectly leads to increased testosterone. And Besides that, we do, uh, again, a lot of, um, of the sleep benefit. We often pair it with the CJC because they definitely seem to be synergistic to providing a pretty good quality sleep. Nice, nice. Now, is there, I don't know what, what type of, uh, again, I know all of these are short term, but, but in terms of the DSIP, is it something that's used every night? And if so, for how many how many weeks or indefinitely? Yeah, and this is one, again, not a, good, a lot of good research has been done on. Um, anecdotally, we can tell you that in the first couple of patients we used it on, we were doing every day, we were doing nightly dosing. And what we found is that around you know three to four weeks in, they were essentially stopping to, to, I guess, respond to it. So you saw some pretty pretty quick developed tachyphylaxis. However, we've now sort of changed that dose strategy, which we think is much more sustainable. And it seems to be essentially three times a week to five times a week. And you can sort of continue that indefinitely. Okay, excellent, excellent. And and as you mentioned, too, they're uh, getting a secondary boost of testosterone second to the effect on LH, too. I'm sure that's a lot of, of a lot of interest, too. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Okay, okay, excellent. I know the last, I mean, those are the big ones, I think, a lot of, uh, that we have a lot of interest in and a lot of our patients. I mean, I know you, there's also some literature on the SARMs, although I think there's a little more further out, right? I mean, in terms of less data, less information, or what's your take on the SARMs? Yeah, so uh, again, this, the SARMs probably have their place. Again, the, the number one reason is because they don't have estrogen. So you lose a lot of the um, side effects that come along with testosterone. So absolutely, they should be investigated. But with that being said, there's, there's really only one that we ever recommend. We do we do some transdermally for some skin benefit, which again was an anecdotal finding. But the LGD uh, has a study at Boston University that, that looked at, you know, healthy younger men and went for essentially a three-week treatment protocol. And you definitely, in that three weeks, saw some of the problems. You saw increase in cholesterol, decrease in HDL, and you saw some suppression of the HPTA axis. So so we're not exactly completely sold on the, the SARMs just yet, but uh, you know, hopefully they'll have their place at least one day. Right. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Well, that's awesome. I and mean, we could talk for hours about this. So if we'll have to do this again, delve a little bit more, but if, I'm going to start wrapping it up because I know it's, I've had you on for a while, but from a personal side, is there anything else you'd like to share in terms of uh, what what I know obviously you're, you're knee deep in research yeah. are there have you uh, I always like to ask everybody what kind of good books they've read any uh, non-medical books or business books yep. personal <laughs> development books anything do you like to read much yeah yeah I read all the time I, I just recently uh, read a book uh, which to be honest I can't even remember the name of it but uh, but it was about sort of business development uh, I think it was zero to one I think was the name of the book but that one that one was there was interesting I think uh, definitely an entrepreneur's type book uh, which you know um, yeah, yeah is very very interesting but beyond that I spent most of my time reading 
agree to be honest with you. I, I think right now, uh, uh, if people enjoy reading and enjoy the, the future of medicine, then uh, there's definitely some good peptide topics I would suggest, such as antimicrobial proteins um, and even some uh, cell binding proteins. So things like uh, RGD and things of that nature, which um, might be used in an orthopedic setting or even uh, for, for cellular targeting of drugs. So those are the two, the two peptide topics that I, w- I would recommend as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are there any particular, is most of your research come in-house as well as some other uh, peptide and other pharmaceutical companies? Or do you read any uh, medical journals as well or a little bit of everything? A little bit of everything. Uh, you know, to be honest, I, uh, there are a couple of really good organizations. I mentioned the International Peptide Society, which is really good at curating mm-hmm. um, a bunch of the, this new stuff. Beyond that, I, I'll, there's actually the American Peptide Society, which is more of the bench top research, the, the first okay. step before you get to a clinical approach. But then again, I sort of have a Google yeah. alert for a bunch of different peptide terms. <laughs> and so uh, I sort of take to the yeah. end of every day just to scroll through there and see some of the new developments, some of the new patents, and just sort of stay up to date. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Ryan, tell everybody uh, people can find you. Again, guys, this is Ryan Smith at TaylorMade Pharmacy. Is it, uh, what's the best place to, to find you guys online? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we're, we can, you can find us online at TaylorMadeCompounding.com. We have some some uh, things available on the back end of that website. So if you ever want to read more, you can always contact us via the uh, the uh, chat form on there or uh, send us an email. Okay, excellent. Excellent. Well, man, I'm gonna, I appreciate all your time and it's been a wealth of knowledge and I'd love to have you back on sometime, I'm sure, because this is going to be a, a rapidly progressing field. So I'm sure we'll have a lot more to talk about. <laughs> Perfect. It sounds great. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. And uh, hopefully next All time right. we'll have a whole new peptide to talk about. I know. I hear you. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. All right, Ryan. Well, thank you again so much. You have a great night and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. I right, appreciate it. Thank you. All right. All right. Thanks, Ryan. Bye-bye.